calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hello, welcome to the IGN UK podcast. My name is Stuart William Reed. Did you know my middle name was William? A little Willie. A little Willie. What's your middle name? I don't have one. You don't have one? No. You're, you are simply... The best. No, I'm Alexander Simmons. Right. Should we call him Alexander for the rest of the Maybe podcast? people should write in and suggest a middle name that we could use for podcasts forward, going forward. Yeah. What, just for me? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, and whatever it is, you have to use it. All right, I'll get it, I'll get it added to uh, my <laughs> depot, yeah? All of them, every single one. Right, okay. <laughs> I'm going to start sending them in, texting them in now. Um, Christopher Edward Tilly. That's nice, Christopher Edward. It's got a nice ring to it, but quite posh, almost royal. You yeah. can tell that Tilly's posh, Dave. It's, yeah. my, it's my dad's first name, is my middle name. Edward. And then it was, hip, hip, yeah, he, he was Edward Arthur Tilly. Right. Because ah. his dad was Arthur, and so it goes. So shouldn't you be really Christopher Edward Arthur Tilly? I could be, but then that would mean that they would just get longer and longer. Yeah. With What's yours against you? I forgot. Just William. William. Just, just William. William. Yay! <laughs> My dad's was Douglas Herbert Victor Reed. Wow. Oh, yeah. Some good names there. He was Herbert's born... a great. I wish that was your name. <laughs> Herbert, my middle name, Herbert. But that's because Victor was because he was born on, on well, it was it was VE day. Ah, very good. But, but his, his dear old mum, towards the end of her life, when she was addled through alcohol, she used to insist on calling it VD day. Oh. As a so, joke or by no, accident? No, no, your dad was born on VD Day, oh. you'd say. I'm not sure what accent that was. It's no. supposed to be drunk shots. He wasn't called Vagina then or something like that. Lower the tone. What have you been up to this week then? Anything? Yes. Good. Go on, Alex. What have we been up to? Uh, just f- firefighting, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Luke's on holiday. Creepers in Berlin. Uh, Bear Park's on holiday. Bear Park's on holiday. You've been ill. I've been ill. Yeah. Sorry if I've got a blocked up nose. I don't know how anything works. So you were pretty, <laughs> yeah. you were pretty much on your own. And launching a new website as well. Launching a new website? Yes. We what? went out, didn't we, Stu? We did, yeah. Hang on. Well, do you want to talk about your website? What's this Sorry. website? Uh, Massive I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it. Yeah, that's what yeah, I thought. Yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> I don't think I'm allowed to talk about it just yet. All right, then. But it's not IGN. Right. It's actually not IGN. Not yeah. IGN.com. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's registered. We should do that. Have a look in a minute. We've been out. We went out. I mean, Stu went out. Not just the two of us, mind. We that went to been... a comedy charity event for Games Aid. 
Yeah. Which we've been long-time supporters of. Yeah, we've done all sorts for them, haven't we? Mostly... Uh, Quiz. Quizzes, yeah. And it was at the Comedy Store yep. this week, and it was very, very funny. The world-famous Comedy Store in London, hosted by... Imran Youssef. Well done. So, uh, Who used to be somebody in the games industry. Well, that's yes. it. So he used to work for um, Midway, I believe. And they did um, Mortal Kombat. Did they used to be part of Bally Midway back in yeah, that was many the, years um, ago? The kind of arcade yeah. set up, but yeah. So they did uh, Midway did all of the kind of um, coin up conversions. Mm. God, that's a phrase I haven't heard for about fifteen <laughs> years. Let's bring it back. Yeah. yeah. Um, then obviously Midway closed, and it was sort of kind of sucked up into all of its like uh, IPs sold off. Oh. Uh, but yeah, he started there and then went on to the comedy circuit. I think it was about 15 years ago. He's been doing it that long? I believe so, wow, yes. okay. Um, we actually got a piece of feedback. Uh, it makes sense to kind of read it now since we're talking about it. Do it. From Rick Crossley, who says, I was at a charity charity, charity. comedy night for Games Aid at the Comedy Store in London last night. It was a fantastic night for a brilliant cause. Mm. Are there any great stand-up comedy acts with a focus on video games? I've seen stand-up comedians focus on all manner of films, televisions, and pop culture, and he knows that Dara O'Brien is big gamers and makes the occasional reference to games like Metal Gear, but that's it. Now, I can't actually think of any stand-ups who only do video games. Mm. No. I feel like we've had some on the site who like to talk about video games. There are definitely people who enjoy video games, and like um, yeah. Dara O'Brien's uh, BAFTA routine this year was really, really good, because obviously they had... Um, Hideo Kojima in the audience mm -hmm. and he was presenting the Fellowship Award to the Rockstar crew and so they did the whole kind of cardboard box thing and you know took the piss out of Metal Gear and Kojima took it very very well but I don't think there are people who do the entire routine no you um, why would you yeah that would be limiting yourself somewhat it's quite, you, you'd run out of gags you could quickly. do some material on it yeah I'm trying to think I'm sure like off of DVDs we've, we've, we've used exclusive clips where people have done video game jokes yeah and I can't remember a single one now you see it's interesting what he says though where he says that you know stand up comedians focus on all manner of films television and pop culture I'm not sure that's actually the case if you think about it do you think stand ups focus on film and TV and tropes and, and, and pop culture and stuff like that. A lot of the comedy you see these days, it, it, especially stand-up stuff, is more observational comedy. I think it's mostly observational. Yeah. yeah. I would say well, it which could include references to like general culture and things like that. Yeah. But I would put gaming under that as well. Sketch shows are different. I was going to say, a lot of comedians make their money out of sketch shows where they're using material about TV and politics mm, and yeah. music. And I really don't like sketch shows. I don't find them funny. At all. The yeah. only one I found funny was Have I Got News For You, but I'm starting to go off that a bit. That's not even a sketch show, That's is not it? A sketch That's a panel show. show. It's not a sketch show. I'm talking about panel shows. I don't know why you guys <laughs> right, okay. talk about sketch shows. I was going to say, like, <laughs> like shows, a, a compilation of short sketches. Yes. <laughs> a oh. show, a sketch show. No, I remember them. Not funny. Like the first show. Yeah, not funny. years ago. It wasn't that funny, was it? No. 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 None of them are funny. Like people that play caricatures of other people. Oh, I just can't stand it. Anyway, he also said, uh, I think I bumped into Tilly and the gents after the show. He would have said hi, but decided to follow the rules of male restroom etiquette. Well, you should have. I wouldn't be surprised because I spent the whole evening in there. That's what I was hoping to pick up. So right? he totally should have said hello. Well, you, uh, uh, what surprised me about that evening, though, was that at one point, Stu disappeared and then he appeared on stage, um, affected a New Zealand accent and was the funniest act of the night. <laughs> Which none of us were expecting. It's not true. Right? <laughs> it's not true. Well, there was a gentleman. There's, there's, there's a gentleman comedian yeah. uh, going under the moniker of Jared Christmas, right? And when he's wearing a beard, 
as is his want on occasion. Right. There is a passing similarity yeah, to him and me. Okay. And you can just right. hear a ripple go along our, our uh, row. Like our row. Like 12 going. people, 12, 15 <laughs> people. What's he, what's he, looks just like Stuart Reid. <laughs> but, but he was also the uh, funniest actor of the night, I would say. Yeah. He was very like me in, in so far there was an underlying current of anger, constant <laughs> anger, and, aggression. and hatred. And there was aggression, aggression yes. beneath the surface. Any second he could explode. Beneath the smiles. Right. So yeah, I've see? just pulled up an image of yeah. it. doesn't really look Not really. anything like you at all. No, mm. but there is. Scroll down to you see one with a beard. On, uh, right, there's this, him this, in a dress. <laughs> that's, this is, that's that's like this yeah. is good for a podcast, Alex scrolling through no, an no, iPad. No, it's no. all right. He looks more know. like uh, Will Guyatt. Does doesn't he? See, if, if Big Willie G had been there last night, no, everybody would have said more like you that night. He's the love child of Stuart Reed and Will Guyatt. Oh my uh, god, that's, that's a night to remember. Who do you think was the funniest of the night? I think he was very funny, Joe. Yeah. Christmas. Who was the least funny of the night? Was I don't that, think it's very fair to say that because uh, yeah. that's not very. It's not fair to say Holly Walsh, is it? Uh, no, I thought she was the second worst, <laughs> and that's why I don't want to say who I thought the worst was. Because look, a lot of people did that out the goodness of their heart. They did exactly. So you shouldn't. Rip into that Stuart Reid. No, I'm not going to ever again. And I actually don't know the names of the other ones that right. I found funny. <laughs> well, but I like the Scottish lesbian. She was yeah, funny. Yeah, I can't stand her on the telly, but she was funny in real life. She was funny in real life. Uh, I thought the guy at the end was pretty funny with the the foreign yeah. guy. Kai. Oh, Kai. Yeah, he was. Anyway, this is only going to make me We're and you rubbish. Laugh. We can't remember any of their names. That's Will Guyatt. That Look is Will Guyatt. Yeah. So, uh, Alex right. is holding up an iPad just for those listening. <laughs> yeah, and even those watching the podcast, you could quite clearly see the back of Alex's iPad. Anyway, Google which is, which is um, good. Jared Christmas. Try googling Jared Christmas beard and see what, what yeah. result you get. <laughs> Let's Jared's move on to the news. Christmas. Christmas. Sounds like a Viz character. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the news this week then. And uh, watchdogs delay is important, quote unquote, to the division developers. Um, so the division, they've said, not just important, but tremendously, tremendously important. important. The yes. de- the, this is the headline, not the headline. This is the strapline the developer behind highly anticipated massively multiplayer shooter the division i know i wrote this story that's well you should read it <laughs> has revealed that ubisoft's decision to delay watchdogs was tremendously important and proved the publisher is more interested in quality than timeliness that's a good thing yeah i think so because so many um development studios are ruled by financial quarters and mm. etc financial years and they've got to get their product out by I don't know, the end of the year in most cases so between September to December. And that's obviously what the case was going to be for Watch Dogs, but it wasn't up to scratch. They thought, well, well, we'll just wait six months and make it as good as it can be, which I think ultimately everyone benefits from that. It does, apart from the shareholders, because didn't their shares fall 25% on the day it was yeah, announced? Yeah, they did. And, and that takes a ballsy move yeah. of the, whoever made that decision to kind of go, well, right, we're going to do this. But in the long term, if you look at what, that, what they've done with Assassin's Creed, if they would have released Assassin's Creed, Creed as a shonky product, which actually I think they did. But <laughs> if they had made Watch Dogs after all this hype, not very good. Yeah. How can they do Watch Dogs two, Watch Dogs three, mm. blah blah, which will come, you know it. Sure. So they're not they're thinking long game rather than just like short term. Mm. And they also did it for uh, Splinter Cell Conviction um, because uh, originally Sam Fisher and that was a uh, undercover agent who was a hobo or something like that, and then they completely went back to the drawing board and start started afresh. Did they? I did not know yeah. that. This is, I think this is actually the second most interesting story about Watch Dogs this week. I think the more interesting story, or the one that seems to have caused more of a, hmm. an issue on the, on the, the, the networks, on the, you know, the social networks, is the, is the giving away oh. of, of loads oh. of tablets. 
Now, I, I'm not quite sure what the issue here is. What, what's happened is there was this big... Um, there was a press event. A press event. Was it somewhere in mainland Europe? I think it was in Paris. Paris. Yep. That's mainland Europe. Uh, and all the press, all, all, the, all the journalists that went were given a Nexus 7, Google Nexus 7, yep. to enable them, really, to be able to play... Watchdogs. Not because, really. Is that not the case? Not really. Is that not really what no, happened? No, it's there. Because obviously the guy uses smartphones to hack into stuff. Mm. So, But, you know, give them a PS4 if you want them to play Watchdogs. Or a copy of the game. And they got neither of those. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, a cheap stunt. It sounds like an expensive stunt. I was going to say, yeah. Well, yeah. No, because isn't that the point? Whether it's expensive, or is, does it matter if it's expensive or cheap? Does that make a difference? Because every press event I go to, you get some kind of gift, a t-shirt, yeah. a key but ring. I, I, so the, yeah, but the, a t-shirt and a key ring, like a pound fifty, bulk agree. order of Nexus 7s, 150 quid, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of money to spunk away. It's basically, it's the usual kind of uh, games journalism police saying that, oh, if you take this, then you're automatically corrupt and blah, 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 which, you know, I don't actually believe is true, but you know I think those who gave away their stuff to charity then good on you. Good on them. It's difficult though, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you've got surely a, a PR's job is to try <coughs> to corrupt you. I wouldn't say corrupt, but I, I think a PR's job is probably to get their product front and center. And if you're there using their phone that's got probably got Watchdogs branding on the back, then that might help. But God, you have to be pretty dim-witted, I think. To go, ooh, it's got Watchdogs written on it. I'm going to write another story on Watchdogs, or I'm going to give it an extra ten percent, or whatever it might be. Mm. So, you know, and obviously there are lots of, like for example, IGN people who preview games don't tend to review them to prevent people from getting too close to it, which I think is a good thing. It's a good idea. You want a fresh set of eyes when it comes to review. So again, I can't talk for other sites, but I just think just focus on writing about games rather than writing about people who write about games. That's my nutting. Mm, okay. I want to write about the people who write about the people who write about games. Well, do you know what? There's a lot of people doing that already, so... It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I can't think of any other industry it happens in. Yeah, you're talking about people kind of judging and criticising themselves. Yeah. Is that a bit like... Oh, I was going to do a good link then. Go on, then. I say a bit like Pierce Brosnan has done this week. All oh, right, carry but on. He, you got something to say, Slip. Slip. No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. I was, actually, what I was going to ask is, is it because the gaming journalist, j- journalism industry is still quite young... Because, you, like you say, you don't seem to get this in a more established industry, like the movie industry or anything like that. But you do seem to get it here. It feels it feels yeah. quite bitchy, games journalism. It is. From yeah. the outside yeah, looking yeah, in yeah. a little bit, or yeah. from the side. Yeah. Like, it all kind of kicked off uh, around the GMAs, Games Media Awards, what, two years ago? Yeah. Where, um, I can't even remember which game it was. That's how effective the whole sponsorship and uh, thing was. It corrupted my skull, so I can't remember anything <laughs> about it. <laughs> Um, if you entered a competition, you could win a PS3 by doing a hashtag retweet. And, oh, that's right. Yeah. And it all stems from that, and it's kind of escalated. And, you know, I, I get it. I get, you know, people should be upfront about what it is they're getting and how they're mm. doing coverage of stuff. But I honestly don't believe that most of the people that read IGN give a shit. And hopefully they trust us to know that uh, enough to know that if we do a press trip around something to some nice place, it doesn't yeah. mean we're going to be predisposed to write yeah. something positive about yeah. the product. And it's, I know it sounds really kind of, I don't know, laissez-faire or whatever, but whenever I go on a trip, I'm just like, oh, I'd rather do it in the office because it means <laughs> I've got these other things that I'd rather be getting on with. Like the, the days of going away for like a five-day jolly and getting drunk on corporate buck just it doesn't happen anymore. Mm. So... No, sad days. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> the glory days. Yeah. But that, and the other thing is, you know, I've been doing it for 20 years and it just doesn't happen. Or not here, it doesn't happen. Mm. I, again, I can't say for other sites who are literally writing page after page on watchdogs on their Nexus. <laughs> God, you wouldn't want to write page after page on a no, you wouldn't, tablet, no. would you? That's for and sure. And also, if it was an iPhone, I'd be like, oh, that's better. But yeah, Nexus, no thanks. <laughs> Joke. Um, insert really cool link into Pierce Brosnan's story here. Oh yeah, we got a Pierce Brosnan story, <laughs> haven't we? Right. I just thought this was an interesting uh, tidbit that came up this week. Pierce Brosnan was doing an interview with The Telegraph uh, for his new film, The Love Punch. And um, he started talking about Bond. And he said what I've always felt about his Bond, but I've been f- I get scared to say because he seems to be very popular. Um, to- looking back, he said, I felt I was caught in a time warp between Roger Moore and Sean Connery. It was a very hard one to grasp the meaning of for me. The violence was never real. The brute force of the man was never palpable. It was quite tame and the characterization didn't have a follow through of reality. It was surface. But then that might have had to do with my own insecurities in playing him as well. And he said he can't even watch the films back because he just doesn't feel they're good enough. So, but surely he had some kind of saying what Bond he would be, right? Especially especially yeah. as they went on. I mean, once yeah. once he'd done a couple that were hugely what was successful. His first one? Goldeneye, which was, was, Goldeneye, which was, was a it? good movie. Good yeah. Bond it's movie. a good Bond movie. Yeah. I think his problem was that the films themselves were poor. I don't think his portrayal of Bond was particularly poor because I still think one of the finest moments in a Bond movie is in Goldeneye when he's when he's um in his, in that really smart suit driving a tank through through the middle of um, Russia. Yeah, yeah. And it's a really really cool mm. scene. Yeah. His his bond was good. The films though were lousy. Yeah, yeah especially the last one with that invisible car. Yeah, oh, that's that was the day. a really Madonna, bad film. Madonna cameo. Yeah. So bad. Um, yeah, they got worse as they went along. There, for me, there was always just a smarminess to him. I didn't particularly yeah. like him in the way that I like Connery. I like more. I like uh, Daniel Craig. Yeah. I just there's something about him that made m- my teeth go on edge yeah. a little a bit, bit. Too slick. Yeah, but he wasn't a bad but, Bond. No. Um, I, I think this is an insecurity that's, that maybe all actors have that's come out of uh, Daniel Craig being so critically acclaimed. It's made him look back and really question what he did, I think. Mm. How many has he done now, Daniel Craig? Three? He's yeah. done three, yeah. yeah. Two, two good and one... Two good, one, one not very really good. quite mediocre. One was a real stinker. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then I think I think Brosnan did one really good, two okay, one pretty bad. Pretty bad, mm. yeah. But I think he's very popular. If he's the Bond you grew up on, he was a little bit after my time, but if the Bond you grew up on, for a lot of people, I think he's he's a favourite. He got a lot of votes when we did a poll a couple of years ago. Yeah. I think he came third. Right. And <laughs> That's not that good, really. Out of, out of what, five? Out of five. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's not that good. But it's, I mean, it's always between Connery and of course. Craig. Always. Mm. So he's, be- he's beaten... He's so, ousted more. So he... Well, that's interesting. So that is quite good. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Out of five. Because he was my... My yeah. Bond when I was a kid. Yeah. 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 The films were pretty poor as well, though, weren't they? Live and Let Die is a great film. Live and Let Die is probably my favourite Bond movie. There you it's, go. it's one of the least like a Bond movies, isn't it? It's a really kind of unusual black exploitation yeah. movie. Yeah. But come on, the rest of them. Octopussy. Spy Love Me is quite good. I, I can never remember. I can't tell one Bond film from the next Racist. <laughs> yeah <laughs> towards Bond movies uh, well I, my first Bond one movie was what people say is the worst Bond movie so that's always going to have a special place in my heart which one's that View to a Kill great is that Grace yeah, Jones yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it is pretty I can see it's pretty bad now but just because it was my first one at the cinema mm. you know what? I don't and think he was I've really seen, old by that point wasn't he I don't he? think I've seen any Bond films at the cinema uh, what, never no 
That's weird. They just don't. I don't th- strike. They don't strike me as being cinema films. If you see what I mean. That's a really weird thing to mm. say. Well, because they're always for me. They've been like Christmas movies. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, Skyfall was really good at the cinema. That that obviously because it was directed by um, Sam Mendes. Yeah. yeah. It looked it looks really good, and it was a really kind of big visual movie. That was and the unique things about Bond and why that one was the most. Um, successful film of the year is because everyone goes to see them in the cinema they're the only film that young people go to see but also they know that they can get old people in yeah. that yeah. only go to cinema once a year yeah. their one trip will be to a Bond film yeah my anyway. first um, my very first trip to a cinema was a, was a Bond movie was it bondage it was, movie bondage movie it was Live and Let Die in 1974 when I was four and a half five right Oh, it sounds to me I think my parents couldn't get a babysitter yeah, yeah. and I remember I, and it's the one thing that's really etched in my it's memory it's not a good film for it a, was, a child it that really age. wasn't Alex Especially and I was in a really stuff. I was in a really bad mood anyway because they wouldn't let me wear my little cowboy outfit <laughs> to the cinema right <laughs> that still happens this still day. happens now I want to go but, to the cinema and I can I can clearly remember the opening credits of Live and Let Die when uh, you've got a close up of this woman's face and suddenly it like explodes into a skull into a flaming skull <laughs> and I I shat myself oh no literally figuratively thank, thank and goodness. just hid that's you what, mean, that's hid what you need the cowboy entire, hat for he wasn't wearing the chaps. entire movie behind the seat so I never I didn't actually see it until it was on TV many years later and you'd think that would have put me off that movie but it, yeah it's probably my favourite Bond film what was your first uh, film at the cinema Chris? Uh, my first second third and fourth film were all the same film right E.T. Right, it got released and re-released. And ET, what the brilliance of ET is, my I was four and my brother was three. Yeah, the brilliance of ET is that the film made my brother cry uncontrollably to the point that we almost had to leave. And yet, when we got home, he started crying because he wanted to see it again so badly. Right. So mum and dad had to take him back. It was like this vicious yeah. circle. Yeah. So it made him so upset, and yet he wanted to experience it all over again. Right. The genius of Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what about was yours, you? Alex? Star Wars. Right. Classic, pretty, classic that's queen. A pretty good. That's no, not bad. show off. That is I don't remember bad. anything. I remember queuing outside, but I don't remember anything about the film at all. I remember oh, yeah. Superman too. Yeah, I remember seeing that at the cinema. I remember having the choice of going to see either. I, no, I remember the choice of going going to see Star Wars at the cinema, and getting there, and finding out that. Wombling Free was on as well. Are <laughs> you idiot? And <laughs> choosing to go and see Wombling Free. I used to love wow. that film. It's funny though, when, when you look back on these things, I, I remember being taken to the cinema in 85 and having the choice. I was allowed to make the decision. Right. And it was either Santa Claus the movie or Back to the Future. And as you guys well know, Back to the Future is my favourite film ever. Yeah. Didn't see it at the cinema, did I? <laughs> there you go. But you know, I was, I was happy with my decision yeah. afterwards. That yeah. was the right film for me to see then. Yeah. There you go. It, little idiot. These things right. happen. Uh, last piece of news is that Japan studio, so the studio responsible for the likes of Journey, etc., mm. uh, are bringing three new games uh, to the Vita Ooh. to the West. So they're already, or some are already out in uh, Japan. Some are coming out in Japan, but they're all, come, all coming to the West, which is exciting. First up is Soul Sacrifice Delta, which is a sequel to Soul Sacrifice. What's that about? It's uh, it's about a well, it's kind of an action game that's got lots of uh, weird kind of demon killing and ting. Okay. Uh, looks very good. Um, but I actually think the next one, Freedom Wars, looks more interesting. It's a kind of role-playing game, but sort of action-focused. And uh, the trailer is just kind of all sorts of bizarre. Um, if I remember, I'll embed it into the uh, story for this podcast. Okay. But it's very, very good. And then lastly is... Um, 
Orishika Tainted Bloodlines. It's a role-playing game, a Japanese role-playing game. I don't really know much more about it, but JRPGs, people love them. They do. But Journey was quite a high-concept game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah, quite yeah, yeah. So that's interesting that they're coming, but also we had a brief Q&A with the new studio head at Japan Studio, and he was saying, yeah, they're doing these three Vita games, but pretty much the entire team is working on brand-new, innovative um, PS4 games. That's so, what you want to hear. Um, he said that, oh, I can't remember the quote, but it was something like, you'll get ready for some um, familiar and new uh, announcements coming out. So everybody's thinking uh, Last Guardian. So Shadow of the Colossus, Ico, two amazing games. Shadow of the Colossus has been, um, sorry, not the Shadow of the Colossus, Last <coughs> Guardian has been in the works for years and years and years. I saw the trailer for it when I first started at IGN. What? And it's still not out. And so everybody's thinking that he's hinting at hopefully an E3 reveal for that. So, so, so hang on, when you first started working at IGN, yeah, so that was like well, the that, yeah, previous so, generation again of console, wasn't uh, it? No, we just just turned. Right, it was just turning. So it would have been. I probably saw the trailer a year before it happened at E3 because they did a slightly changed version. So I think it would have been 2007, um, if I remember rightly, maybe 2008. Okay, but that's. Still six years ago, yeah, um, that it first debuted, and we've seen nothing since. Nothing, no, that's crazy. I think the problem is there's a lot of excitement and anticipation around that game, but there's no way on earth it can live up to that now. No, no, because six years it's like I don't know, Stone Roses, second album, or yeah, whatever it was. That wasn't very good, if I remember rightly. Second Coming. Yeah. No, it wasn't. Love Spreads is good, but the rest of it was a bit... Mm. I read... Um, I, sorry, I watched a documentary on Happy Mondays um, <laughs> the other day. And um, they, after, obviously, their first album, they went to... I can't... It was something like Jamaica. 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 Yeah, Jamaica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With and, uh, and they, Tina Weymouth and Chris France, who were who, from Talking Heads, they were going to produce the album. Right. Which, was that Yes Please or Bummed? I can't remember. It was one I of those two. Which one. And they stayed in, was it Bob Marley's house or yeah. something crazy like that? <laughs> yeah. It's just the most amazing story. And sold yeah. everything. Sold all the cars. To buy crack. Sold all the yeah, yeah. when they yeah. got yeah. seriously yeah. into crack. Yeah. 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 They thought, we'll go there. There's no, there's no smack in Jamaica. <laughs> we'll go there. We'll be all right. Yeah, there's no smack. There's crack, but there's no smack. Brilliant. <laughs> but yeah. That's I don't know how we got from Japan Studio to that, but yeah. To smoking crack with, <laughs> with Sean Ryder. Um, but anyway, I hope, uh, I hope The Last Guardian uh, does come out and I hope it's good, but I'm not so sure it will be. Mm. But anyway, if they did, you know, if they continue doing stuff like Journey, yeah. that is exciting. That's what we want. Yeah. yeah. Innovation, innovation, innovation. And three, war. Three lots of it. <laughs> good. That's the news this week then. Let's crack on with uh, this week's talking point. Now, you decided on this week's talking point, I did. Alex. Tell us why well, and what it is. So, it's television's most shocking or most memorable moments. Now, it's obvious because something rather big happened in this week's episode of Game of Thrones. Now, I'm yeah. not going to talk about it specifically because no. there probably are still some people who haven't seen it, but it was... You know, an amazing piece of television, mm. which I just didn't expect. I haven't read the books. Um, and You managed to avoid the spoilers for it. And I you? managed to yeah. avoid the spoilers, although um, I'm pleased I watched it when it aired over here in the UK because uh, that night a USPR sent out um, uh, an email to the, all of IGN's editors with a spoiler in the subject line. And there were some very unhappy people, inc including Greg Miller, who he replied just saying, you suck, you suck a lot, take us off your mailing list. 
And it's just mm-hmm. like, why would you do yeah, that? That's ridiculous. So I thought this, you've changed, can't say it's most shocking and most memorable because well, they're different things. Because uh, I've been thinking about shocking. Well, you go shocking. If I go most memorable, there's all kinds of different things I could think about. Okay. Well, a lot of the examples, let me give you some of my examples before uh, you so start. He's, he's changed it, isn't he? No, of, I haven't. Because of his list. Well, you tell me if you think they're shocking. So sticking with Game of Thrones, obviously yeah. there is Red Wedding. Of mm. course. But I actually think the uh, beheading of Ned Stark was... Spoiler alert! Well, that's season one. <laughs> Surely we're allowed to talk about that by now. That was... what that, I think that is the most shocking piece of television I can remember in a long, long time. And that, to me, set up Game of Thrones like, right, that's what you can yeah. expect from this show. Yeah. And also, uh, in, in, on, in terms of spoilers... The, the teaser for the second season was his head on a spike. So it's like, you know, you can't get around that. <laughs> I remember I remember that happening, though, you know, uh, and just sitting there thinking, have they just done that? Did yeah, they, is that, uh, totally. Was that a thing? Have they? No, they haven't, have they? There, there's gonna be like, a, they'll never do that. Because no. most TV shows never pull punches like that. It's, you know, they kind of set it up and nothing really happens. Because mm. I was trying to think about some for 24 as well, but you always know that he's going to be all right. Yes, that's true. I guess, you know, there was a couple of, like, double-crossing moments and stuff like that. Um, but So other stuff. Breaking Bad. Um, the bit, obviously, when the penny drops and Hank realises who Walter White was. That's mm. not so much shocking, but that's pretty... That, that was, was setting movie. up for the last six episodes as well, wasn't yeah. it, really? And you had that really long wait if you'd been watching it as, they, as, they, as yeah, it had been yeah, going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought probably the most shocking moment was when Gus Fring goes into the lab and then just stabs the uh, the guy who's kind of watching yeah. them, and it's just so cold and merciless. And I was reading about it, like how I can't don't know the name of the actor was prepared for it, but he basically didn't talk to anybody for the entire day of shooting because he wanted to get into the zone of mm. being a mental killer. So there you go. Nice. Uh, sorry, a couple more. Uh, when Jr. got shot in Dallas, that's a shocking moment. Was it? Yeah. Was it really a shocking moment? Because yeah. it had been, I don't know if it was, because it had been trailed, the fact that he was going to be shot. It was, it was you know, everybody was going around, who's, who shot JR? Who's going to be shooting JR? Who's responsible for this? For a long really? time before. Uh, see, I don't remember that. I was too young. Ah, uh, okay. Well, it was, that it was, was I mean, that huge, was exciting television. It was a huge news story, but I don't know if the, if, if all the press stuff happened after he got shot. Must have been it was after. Who shot, because it was quite a long time until they revealed who it was. Mm, yeah. It must have been after when he was actually shot. They kind of, been building up before that but uh, I can't well you know I, I, I've, I've just written uh, just written I've just read a, 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 um, a book on 80s TV yeah because that's the kind of, of boring bastard I am yeah uh, and, and it, it was saying how there was this kind of expectation building up in the last couple of weeks towards towards that actual episode because right. there it, there were rumours that he was going to be shot so I don't know if that had been planted by the TV company right because most feeling. people listening to this podcast have no idea what, what we're da- talking no. about. Dallas <laughs> is back. Yeah, I know, but still, it's not the same people. <laughs> no, Isn't no. it back and then it went again? Yeah, probably. And wasn't there supposed yeah. to be a big screen version? There was. Uh, it was going to be John Travolta. It was mm. going to be JR. I All remember right. that Jennifer Lopez was going to be in it. It never happened. Do you know why JR got shot? Because uh, somebody pointed a gun at him. Amazing. Contract negotiations. Is that right? Because Larry Hagman had become the, the default centre of the show. Yeah. More by accident than design, because originally Dallas was meant to be a kind of Romeo and Juliet story between um, his sister Pam Ewing mm. and I can't remember the guy's name. <laughs> Not Bobby. No, is, no. That, is that her brother? Well, that was another memorable moment. It wasn't certainly it? was when coming out of the shower, shower yeah. yeah. 
Nobody knows. Like, like, nobody's got an idea <laughs> what we're talking about. Ask your parents or even your I like, grandparents. I like that it's become the Dallas podcast, though. Yes. <laughs> so I've got one more right. moment. Okay. And it's Walking Dead. Uh, I think it was season two when Sophia, so it's the daughter of um, the grey-haired woman whose name I can't remember for the life of me, uh, and they're all looking for her, and then she happens to be a zombie, and Rick shoots her in the head. Oh, it comes out the barn. Yeah, I oh, thought that was pretty shocking. Sad. I still haven't done Walking Dead, and I feel oh, actually, like I ought to. There is, I've only just remembered it, there is a moment, uh, all I'm going to say is, the moment in this season, the babysitting bit is horrendous. Okay. The two sisters. It's horrendous. And the new stuff. Yeah. I yeah, haven't yeah. seen the new stuff yet. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I was watching that on the train coming into work, and it's the most depressing thing I've ever seen, especially for a morning commute. Really? Yeah. It's horrendous. <laughs> There's nothing positive about it. The day it. you came in were really horrible to all of us. Probably. <laughs> Stu? So. Um, memorable moments. <clears throat> I remember sitting down. This is this is a weird one for me, but um, it was really memorable. Was watching Blankety Blank when Terry Wogan was on Blankety Blank. Blankety Blank. If you if not, this no is idea definitely what it is. not shocking. It's not shocking. <laughs> it was a, a really. He it pulled was a, out his. Oh. It was a game show, and you you'd have you'd have two contestants. Say. You'd have six people, and they'd be arranged in two lots of three up above. You know, on, on like a, a plinth kind of thing, and you'd always have like in the top row, you'd have like a fairly kind of straight guy. You'd have uh, a woman in the middle and another guy. And then downstairs, you'd have like a pretty woman. And then you'd have a, a comedian and then you'd have a, somebody else. And I remember being really excited because on this episode, Kenny Everett was going to be you were say You Kenny knew Everett. I was going to say this. Uh, and the host of Blankety Blank, Terry Wogan, <laughs> had this really unusual microphone. It was like really long and incredibly thin. It was a bit like a car aerial with a little black bobble on top. Yeah. Um, don't know why he had it. It was just like an affectation, I suppose. But I remember him going over to, to, to Kenny Everett yeah. with this microphone and asking Kenny Everett what his answer was going to be. And Kenny just grabbing this mic and just bending it completely in half. Yeah. And the whole audience being absolutely shocked yeah. for a brief moment until they burst into... So it is shocking television. It, well, it was if how, you were Terry how, Wogan. How bizarre is that? that like, we're talking like 1983, I suppose. And one yeah. of the most surprising things to happen on TV was somebody's microphone getting bent. What's your I'm shock? shocked. I'm shocked. Now, what else do you have? You got any, anything that's more normal? That's it. I think Just, the, only, the only other shocking moment was, was Oliver Reed on this uh, Channel 4 TV show. Uh, right, which, yeah, yeah, that yeah. came up on my YouTube today. Did it? Yeah. This morning I was looking for an Adam and Joe clip to send someone and that came up on the side. I was like, I've not seen that in a long time, Oliver Reed. It's quite sad. It is, it? it is quite sad, yeah. It was this um, this late-night discussion show Channel 4 used to have, and I can't remember the name of it. it suddenly, it slipped my mind. But it was open-ended, and, and basically Channel 4 said, you know what, if it runs for an hour, it runs for an hour. If it runs for three hours, it runs for three hours. We're just going to let it run. Yeah. Uh, That's so Channel 4 in isn't the early it? days. Isn't God. It? And they ply every guest on there with loads of wine and different types of booze and everything. And, yeah. this, and they had this woman on there who was a, a real ardent, hardcore feminist. Yeah. Uh, and Oliver Reed, who was who's not a feminist, <laughs> as as, di- as diametrically opposed to being to, to a feminist as you could possibly imagine, and he was absolutely pissed, and he was incredibly embarrassing up to the point where he decides he's going to cuddle up to this woman and actually say, "Give us a snog, big tits." Wow! To one of the most ardent Which feminists I've said to you before, you, you have on several occasions, and I normally acquiesce, yeah. you know, uh, and it was really, really 
cringeworthy, mm, uncomfortable, uncomfortable viewing. Yeah. And then eventually they kind of all ganged up on Oliver and just said, "Look, go away, you you bore, you terrible man, just mm. leave us alone." And he's just like staggers off and this camera follows him like staggering off through the studio and that was it but I remember sitting there watching it live with my mouth hanging open just thinking <laughs> what the hell is going yeah. on yeah <laughs> Chris yeah mine mine involved deaths quite a lot I think like some of yours did yeah um, and because when you first put it out there it reminded me of uh, Dennis Leary used to do a, a joke about why Americans watch so much TV and it said because we, we turned it on in 1963 and saw Lee Harvey Oswald get shot live and we've been too scared to turn off since in case you <laughs> missed something else <laughs> yeah. yeah but um, so you mentioned 24 and that's yeah. the first thing I thought of actually was was one specific one uh, the, the last moments of the first series yeah when Nina double crosses him yeah. and then yeah. shoots his pregnant wife in the stomach that's right yeah that I, I didn't see that coming I yeah. couldn't believe they did it yeah. and it just made me think well all bets are off here even though you think Jack's always going to survive yeah. anyone else here it's is expendable game. here yeah. yeah he shot his pregnant wife yeah. there was a little baby in there yeah. um, so that was the first one that sprung to mind um, equally uh, Twin Peaks when you finally saw how Laura Palmer died at the hands of Bob mm-hmm. and he's smashing her head into the glass I remember that really upset me and shocked me as a kid like yeah. I was quite young and it was it was quite a lot to take in yeah um, the whole of Twin Peaks was like yeah. a lot to take in. It was, <laughs> yeah. A lot of it was shocking. Uh, the ending of The Sopranos, just because it had this It ending. was incredibly brave, that ending, or, or stupid. And kind of hated it at the time. Yeah. But yeah, you still find yourself talking about it to this day. Mm. So it, there was something about it. That was a clever ending. Um, and then I started thinking, well, childhood as well. Those are some of the moments that have stayed with me. Zamo. Right. <laughs> Zamo in Grange wow. Hill. So back in about, when was it? 1985, I think, maybe. God, no idea. One of the characters in the, in the TV soap opera for kids, Grange Hill, became addicted to heroin. Mm, yeah. I'd never heard of heroin or drugs, really. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then it was quite a memorable scene with him in the yeah, locker remember, room going yeah. down. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> I don't remember Hit that happening. <laughs> but yeah, just say no, kids. Just say no. Just say no. So yeah, yeah those, those are the few that sprung to mind. Although you talked about memorable ones I remember watching Family Fortunes when a guy said something stupid and that's always stayed with me you know when they just panic say something the last yeah, few yeah, seconds yeah. And, he, and it's on YouTube I have found it since um, they asked him to say a type of ache and he couldn't think of one and it came back to him I think head was the top head ache um, and then it came Thanks back to him and he, had, he had four seconds left and well no you'll see why because okay. uh, and he said uh, fill it a fish and the time was out <laughs> and it was so embarrassing when, the guy, when Les Dawson was like uh, we asked you for your type of ache you said Philip O'Fish and he's going oh damn damn I think he thought they'd said hake hake <laughs> <laughs> right but yeah that stayed with me oh lovely stuff well listeners uh, you should let us know what your most memorable or most shocking TV moment is mm. you can email the IGN UK podcast by emailing IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. The most memorable email address in the business. I'm sure yes. you'll agree. <laughs> but not the most shocking. Not the most shocking. No. Um, who wants to kick off with some reader feedback? So look at this. Uh, Elliot Rogers has written in, This summer I will be luckily paying thousands of pounds to venture to crime-ridden Brazil for three weeks to watch England miserably flop at football. 
pretty much sums up the summer. I think so. Because of this, I've just started collecting Panini World Cup stickers in anticipation. Wow. I didn't even know you could still get Panini yeah, World Cup stickers. I did it four years ago. Did you? <laughs> well, you just answered... I was 31 years old. You just answered his question. My ah. question is, which stickers stroke collections did you used to try and complete when you were younger? They don't just have to be football stickers. Oh, thanks, Elliot. My brother had a completed Star Wars Pogs album. Yeah, I remember the, the Star Wars Pog stuff. What like were Pogs again? Little circular things, and you could kind of clip them together yeah, and stuff. Yeah, never really got that. Never really got it. Um, it was around um, episode one, if I remember rightly. That's yeah, when right. Uh, but yeah, it was mainly football albums, Pan- mm. Panini football Panini albums. every year, the World Cup yeah. one and the, and the season ones had all them. They do um, Peppa Pig. I don't know if it's Panini. Oh, but, my Lord. But that's what my little one's into. I never, I, I never completed a football one, but I, I was one sticker away from completing a different. Because you could album. order them, couldn't you? The I ones know. you were missing, and, and I, I never ever did that. I ordered the missing one twice, and both times I never got round to putting it in, which is just the weirdest what? thing. Yeah, I don't know what was wrong with so you. You actually got it delivered. Yeah, and I think I lost it or I couldn't find my album, and, and it never was completed. Oh and my that was. Gosh. Did you do swapsies then with, with yeah, your mates? Yeah, yeah, that was a whole it's part of childhood. Especially, yeah. especially when it was raining, you couldn't play football. You just swap. Mm. But the uh, the sticker album was not a football one, unfortunately, that I nearly completed. It was the Basil the Great Mouse Detective sticker album. Wow. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Yes, it is. I was such a geek. <laughs> I'm trying to think how old Fox you would have been hand. when Basil the Great Master <laughs> not that not that old <laughs> I was about six or seven I had a Fox in the Hand one oh. it just reminded me of that yeah I used to love that movie so I don't think I've ever seen the film but for some really? reason I had the sticker album yeah okay hmm Stu, did you I didn't really collect them no. we, there were, there were, we, we used to have um, a local uh, like uh, you know shop what are those <laughs> you know, like a corner what, what shop. Like a corner shop. Places that sell things. And they sold it. They, they did sell these. I can't. They, they were stickers, and I can't remember what they were, but they were like. They were like wanted stickers with these really cool caricatures of, of, of people on them. I remember me and my brother used to collect not, those. Not garbage pail kids. No, no, it was way before then. Right. You used to get bubblegum in them. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember getting like. More packs of cards, if I remember rightly. Oh, and you mm. used to get a thin strip of bubblegum. And that's yes. how the Mars attacks yeah. came in the 1950s. That's in America. right, yeah. That's yeah. that. Very that similar kind of thing. But we used Cigarette to, cards. We, used to, we never used to put them in a... We just used to stick them to our bedroom door, and that right. was it. So that's... I remember that. But I remember my, my... I remember as well, my brother, who's a little bit older, he's five or six years older than me, he had the... I think it would have been the 1970 Esso World Cup coin collection. Right. Which he used to get from the petrol stations. Yeah, yeah. Which is an amazing thing to, to, to look at. All these little cool kind of gold-coloured coins. Yeah. It's lovely stuff. Gold-coloured, though. Yeah, gold-coloured. <laughs> but I don't know if they'd be worth anything these days. Yeah, I think so. Really? Well, if you've got a complete, a complete set, complete it set. definitely would be. Well, that was like, because my dad used to be a rep, and so he used to drive everywhere and obviously get through loads of petrol. Yeah. All of our glasses in the house were all from <laughs> petrol stations. Yeah. Isn't it just weird? He just used to come home and love the two glasses. Cut crystal. Think, always yeah. cut crystal glasses, weren't they? Crystal lead glasses. So weird. And was it, you had to pay, was it £3 or £6 and you get a voucher? It was never like £5. I can't remember. It was always £6 and you get a voucher. I don't know. And you were Welsh. Great question, yes. though. <laughs> I'd like to hear what our, our listeners, what they've completed. Yeah. Sticker album-wise. Yeah. Do and it. send them to us so we can put them on eBay. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've got an email from Ewan Brown who says, I just want to point out that there are lots of people, myself included, that have jumped ship 
this generation from Xbox 360 to PS4 due to Microsoft's cock-up of marketing last year. Uh, so he's never played The Last of Us we were talking about last week, and obviously the remastered version has come to PS4. So he's very excited about that. Uh, he's somehow avoided all the spoilers and can't wait to play what people are calling the best game of the previous generation, since it seems nobody can shut up about it. Definitely play it. It's really good. You still haven't played it, have you? No. You really should. I've watched Seth Rogen play it. You should really play it. Yeah. I think you'd enjoy it. I think you'd enjoy it as well. All right. Okay. Let's set me that task. Okay. I'll I'll take a couple of days off free and play it. Do Thankfully, it. Easter's coming up. <laughs> I'm going to be in Devon oh. with, a, with a dog that makes me allergic. Oh. Whereabouts in Devon are you going to be? Exmouth. Oh. Anyway, uh, I have an email from Andrew Goodband who says, uh, Ever since I started watching the podcast, Stu has really reminded me of someone from a film, but I can't think what film until now. If any of you have ever watched The Girl with the Dragon 2, the one with... Two? The Girl with the Dragon <laughs> Tattoo. Uh, the <laughs> one with Daniel Craig. <laughs> uh, you remember the main woman, uh, the one with the tattoo, has a probation worker who makes her do things to him which are really, really, really bad. I think we can all agree if we've seen or read any of those it. films. Yes. Mm. Um, if you've watched the film... Uh, Alex, you don't need to look it up. I, I have do, the picture here. I've got the picture here. If you've watched the film, you know what I mean. You certainly do. Mm. Um, I think Stu looks like that man. I can no longer watch the podcast. Sorry, Stu, but you scare me now. Just imagine him with glasses and it's Stu. And yes, I think I did think this at the time when I saw the film. Uh, but this is magnificent when you have a little look at that picture. God, it does look like oh. you. Think so? <laughs> and have you read or seen any of the films, Alex? No, I haven't. Okay, no. that guy does really bad things so, to the lady. Again, no wonder you could kind of realise that it's, it's him. You see, I think it looks a bit more like Jared Christmas. <laughs> We're just going around in circles now. <laughs> um, I'm, pro- I'm not, I'm I'm not going to read this email out, but I want to say hello to Matt Garland, who has written the best uh, email about the difference between 720p and, and 1080p. And you're not going to read it out? It's really long. Do you want me to read it out? Can you summarise it? Okay. Uh, the key aspect between 720 and 1080 is the trade-off between graphical quality and frame rate. More graphical detail and resolution will result in lower frame rates due to the number of calculations the processors and graphics cards have to make. I'm not yawning because of that. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a P- he says he's a PC gamer, so he's really aware of the trade-off uh, behind these things. There are many settings that can be played with when you have a PC, such as detail of lighting and shadows, texture, resolution, geometry, detail, draw distance, amount of You know when I said summarise it? I didn't mean read all and of it. But he says, crucially, the screen resolution is one of the biggest hitters on the performance, and the jump between 720p and 1080p is incredibly dramatic. As a gamer, I'll always push my res up to 1080p on games if my PC can handle it. But in general, I can max out all other graphical settings and run at 720p. So that's the issue here. It's like, do you have the game looking brilliant with, yeah, with lighting that. and particles and I everything? I get that. Or, or, all right, fine. Or do you okay, move on? Okay, or do you but, move on? Yeah. I don't know what that stems from. Obviously, we've been talking about it for a while. But the thing for me is not so much, yes, I know the difference in the impact it has on processing, etc. But if I'm going to buy a next generation console, I expect there to be a natural uh, improvement over last gen. Okay. Well, he says here that the fact that some Xbox games are only running at 720... Is not good enough. ...points to developers possibly finding it hard to squeeze that performance out compared to PS4. Not my problem. Exactly. He says here, maintaining 60 frames a second and keeping the quality up of the overall game graphics must be the priority of the developers and publishers. Agree. Running at full HD 1080p is definitely desirable, but it's the icing on the cake on top of all the other, all the other lovely next-gen graphical loveliness. 
Thank you, Matt Garland. Yep. That was actually quite interesting. Thank you for that. Uh, so I've got an email from uh, Hashim uh, Yilmaz, I think that's how you pronounce it, who says, while well, catching up on older Did podcasts... Did Adele Dazeem? <laughs> uh, I came across episode 206, where you were discussing the original Xbox Behemoth controller. That's a funny word, that, isn't it? Behemoth. Behemoth. I'm never sure Behemoth. how to pronounce that, are you? Behemoth. 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 Anyway, I like using it. Behemoth. The big one. Uh, he feels like he needs to apologise to you guys for the size of this control. Yeah. What? Why are you apologising? What? Uh, although I didn't literally choose the controller for, for the original platform, I did contribute to the final decision. Prior to the launch of the original platform, a friend of mine who recruits people to be on panels and do surveys asked me if I would take part in a gaming panel in London. I wasn't told what it was for, uh, but he agreed and he's been a gamer since the early days from the Sega Master System. Anyway, listen... Uh, he went along to a hotel in central London just off of Oxford Street uh, signed an NDA oh he goes into a lot of detail <laughs> spent the rest of the day summarize playing it, Halo uh, summarise it as well as I summarised that last one I'm almost at the end if you pipe down I'll get to it uh, he played Halo Fusion, Fusion Frenzy and a couple of other games on Xbox uh, there was no outer shell at the time uh, just what looked like a tower style PC so he was playing these games on Xbox yeah. before everybody knew what Xbox Ooh. was uh, anyway, uh, he was asked some questions that related to the controller. He remember playing the silent cartographer level Halo. And uh, uh, anyway, again, again, again. I'm, oh, Jesus. Anyway, what's the upshot? So when he was presented <laughs> with two options for the controller, the large one or the PlayStation uh, copy style smaller one, he chose the bigger one. Okay. <laughs> he is to blame for choosing the large. <laughs> Did you do that to our poor listeners? <laughs> Well, he shouldn't have done it. Okay. And he's agreeing. He's agreeing? Yeah, he says it's partly his fault, so I'm just, I'm reiterating that. With yeah. a, uh, cheers and keep up the mega work. Will do. Thank you very much for that. Last bit of feedback is from you, Chris. Yeah, from our old friend Denny Bryant, uh, who talks about, we, we referenced Night of the Living Dead last week, uh, the remake and the original. Um and he says, hi, guys. Uh, the 1990 version of Night of the Living Dead isn't famous for being bad. It's famous for being unsuccessful, which isn't quite the same thing. So I guess I said it was bad last week. Mm. Um, it was actually written and produced by George A. Romero with Tom Savini directing, uh, with a lot of the crew of the same as the 68 version. Romero prefers the 1990 version to his own film. According to Romero, the 1990 version is closer to his original idea than the 68 one, as he was able to go back to the original script and remove the contributions from John A. Russo that he was never fond of. The biggest change in the film from the original is the portrayal of the character Barbara who is now played as Romero originally wrote the character so there you go I mean I remember watching it at the time and not liking it much and mm. I still love the original um, I still think it's like the godfather of the modern horror film it kind of combined all the tropes that we take for granted now but at the time we're, we're kind of mm -hmm. way ahead of their time but maybe I'll have to go revisit this one I mean I know I did look it up afterwards actually because I was thinking oh if I remembered it right and it did it did get some pretty bad reviews at the time the okay. 1990 version did yeah um, some people seem to like it now Romero likes it I don't know if I trust that um, it's like Stephen King not liking Kubrick's The Shining yeah, for 30 years silly um, I've never seen a, a Romero film have you not? no I'm not you know what I'm not a big horror fan no. anyway so no I mean 
Dawn of the Dead, even though Night of the Living Dead is my favourite one. I think Dawn of the Dead's mm. the one I'd recommend, the original. Mm. He's done a really good one called Martin as well. It's a fantastic That's vampire good. film. You love that, don't you? I do love that film. Yeah. But I don't know don't know if it's for you, Al. No. No. But Let's no, thanks clear. for the email, Danny. I will I will go back and revisit that one. Thanks for all your emails. We read every single email that comes in. If if you're not featured on the show, it's not because we don't love you, it's just because we obviously can't read out everything we get. We just run out of time. But if you would like to contribute, it's IGN underscore UK for you pick at IGN.com. That's our email address. IGN.com. Oh, did I send a little you, bit you significant? A little bit significant. Well, let's I'm not gonna say what I was gonna say. <laughs> let's not mention that. Let's move on to uh, stuff that's coming out this week. Yes. So let's uh, go through the games first, shall we? Yes. So uh, we got some good stuff coming out for mm. uh, this week. But first, uh, I'm not saying it's bad, <laughs> um, but Sing On is coming out. Uh, it's a karaoke game. Okay. Uh, the only bonus, I guess, is that it's got Bohemian Rhapsody on it. Wow. Should we sing some Bohemian Rhapsody? No. Um, no? No. All right, then. No. Uh, also out this week, Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn. Um, is out on PlayStation 4. Yeah. Is that like a remaster or something? Or an HD thing? Or uh, Luke Kamali is the person to ask. Look, Final yeah. Fantasy, uh, I've tried to get into Final Fantasy. I struggle with it, uh, unfortunately. Much more up my alley is Trials Fusion, Ooh, which is out yeah. this week. Now, obviously, yeah. we are big fans of Trials here. Mm. Uh, I've been playing that a fair bit at home, and obviously, we played the multiplayer in the office. It's more of the same. It's not reinventing right. the bicycle wheel. Although we, we, you know, we have, like you say, played multiplayer in the office. It seemed a little slower than the last generation. I don't know. Yeah. um, Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. But the other thing is there are so few tracks Mm. um, because obviously the big thing of Trials is that when people start generating their own tracks and you... Because like the tracks when you, you're kind of steaming down like a massive roller coaster thing, yeah. it's fast, but there seems to be a much kind of greater balance between slower tracks and fast tracks. I, my one piece of advice to you is to uh, use the quad bike. The quad bike. I hope they fix that. Because at the moment, if you use the quad bike, you just piss over everybody. You just accelerate. Yeah, you don't have it. to brake. And you go straight through the level and win it's, almost every time. It's dad mode. I love it. So that was that was early code we were playing on. So that's okay. not that wasn't finished code. So we'll have to see. Anyway, the review for that will be up uh, on the site by the time you read this. And if I remember rightly, it scores an eight point seven. Oh, that's pretty good. It might have been an eight point two. That's still pretty good. But anyway, it's good. I enjoyed it. Uh, also out this week is FIFA World Cup. Um, so it's obviously the official World Cup game. Alex, call it by its proper name. All right, 2014 FIFA World Cup Brazil. That's better. Yeah. Um, they didn't pay all that money for the license for nothing, you know? No, exactly. So, and, and that seems quite early to me. Mm. Um, like, I haven't even given a second thought to the World Cup yet um, because we're still in the middle of the Premier League season. That's exciting. We're in the middle of it. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, the, 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 the kind of the finale is happening yeah, right yeah. now. All the exciting ting is happening. Mm. Yeah, um, it will start ramping up though the week the, the day after the Premiership ends. Sorry, I've just got an email uh, text from my wife saying that uh, Scarlett got into the school that she wanted to get into. Oh, that's uh, great! Do you know what? That's been the whole thing of this week. Yeah, I'm still waiting to hear on on Polly. Right. So that's yeah. great news, Alex. Thank Congratulations! You. <laughs> <laughs> You've no idea how much that makes me happy because not for her getting to the school but just makes my life so much easier <laughs> well congratulations I'm pleased Thank to hear it well done. Well done. Applause. Yeah. this reminds me I used to have the 1966 Batman movie on video and it'd always be broken up about an hour in when a news flash came in that the Falklands War had ended right. cool. <laughs> it's a bit like I feel like it's like <laughs> that like moment that. Right. Yeah. celebration okay um, uh, so yeah World Cup review uh, goes up this week 
Um, I think it's going to go up on Thursday. We were hoping to get up early in this week, but we've been trying to get code. Bloody, bloody, blah. Yeah, it's not re like trials. It's not reinventing the football game. <laughs> <No>. um, <laughs> it's basically based on last year's FIFA, but obviously with all the official. Well, it would be, wouldn't malarkey. it? Malarkey, right? Can um, anyone reinvent the football game now? Everyone seems so set in their ways. Um, but it's also, yeah, FIFA's in a difficult position because they've made such massive leaps and bounds and made the game as good as it can be. Yeah. I honestly think, and it'll never happen, is that they should bin the releasing every year and just do it as a subscription or something like that. Mm. Because then I, I'd feel cheated if I was spending 45 quid every single year. Of course you would. Yeah, and I'm not yeah. saying that there's not a lot of work that goes into it, but at the same time, it's like, the, you know, the, the there's only so much advancement yeah. you can do. Mm-hmm. Unless you start having players with three legs and two balls. Like multi-ball, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Three legs and two... How many balls? Multi-balls. Yeah. Movies out this week, Chris. Yeah, so we have uh, Lock coming out this week, mm. which Stuart and I have seen. Yes. And I am in the midst of my review, so I don't know what the score is going to be yet. <laughs> is well. it... Do you think it's going to be a high score, Chris? It, well, it's... it's <sighs> Um, there's positives I can take out of it. Mm. There's things I like, things I didn't. Okay. I'm kind of sitting on the fence a bit with this mm. one. Uh, but yeah, it stars Tom Hardy and it's it's uh, a film set in a single location. It's him in a car driving from Birmingham to Croydon. Yep. Um, and it's his... Is it Croydon? It's his, yeah, that's right. <clears throat> it's his life kind of unravelling over the course of the movie uh, through the phone calls that he has with various people in his life. Is it but, real time? Yes, pretty much. Yeah, I was going to say you can almost do that journey in two hours. Depends on the M six. Does, does he go via the toll road? He's, he does the M six. Oh, I don't sorry. remember there being a toll. <laughs> well, it's just the M six toll road. Obviously, if there's congestion yeah, on the M six, I do like driving up the M six. You pay a little so, bit extra, and yeah. you go much faster. I always find it difficult I, to come back down on the M6 toll though. I can never seem to find the start of it. I've never been on see, the M6 toll road. I, I turned off before I got there. Oh. You see, this conversation is more interesting than some of the conversations in the film. Oh, really? Because mm-hmm. his job, is, he works, he's a foreman on a building site and it, their conversations about concrete that's being delivered right. and there's a lot of them and they're trying to be quite clever by trying to make that interesting and exciting and tense. I didn't think that worked. What you? Well, it's all right. I'm not going to be on site for the build, but I tell you what's going to happen is we're going to have 138 lorries coming down. All you got to do is keep that mix stirred, all right? Just keep the mix stirred. Make sure all the pumps are working. Now, it's going to be fine. Uh, um, Stuart isn't having a stroke. Uh, Tom Hardy affects a Welsh accent for the film for yeah. no apparent reason. Yeah. Oh. Uh, which well, it is, must be because he's Welsh. The character is Welsh. Right, well, there you but go. <laughs> apparently that wasn't in the script or anything. He just came and decided he wanted to do it in a Welsh accent. Really? Though, which is quite... But that's... Like, how did he come up with his Bane voice, right? That's all the big isn't that, weird. Isn't that because he just had something stuck to the front of his mouth? <laughs> yeah, but it wouldn't make you talk like this. <laughs> but I've got, I, Chris, I gave you, I posited a theory about this earlier yeah. on. Uh, in episode two of A Trip to Italy, Rob Brydon takes the piss out of Tom Hardy's voice. Mm. So I think what's happening here is Tom Hardy is actually taking the piss out of Rob Brydon's like voice that. in this film. Wow. You can tweet that. How did you have figured that out? Because obviously Locke would have filmed a, been filmed a long, long time ago. Why you don't know, do you? Well, yeah, would have done. Tom, Hard- <laughs> Tom Hardy's smart, but yeah. I, I guess with some- <laughs> Tom Hardy's smart. That's a good answer. I guess with something like that, you 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 think there's going to be some kind of a thriller element, like uh, phone booth, uh, buried, frozen, a, a thriller or horror element to it. But the, the, the other frozen, not- yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry, the frozen yeah. that came out four years ago, where they're stuck up on a ski lift for the whole film, yeah. right? Um, which is very good actually, better yeah. than it sounds. Um, That'd be really bad if you took your child to go and see that frozen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think for a time the tags were a bit confused and. In, on our system on really? IGN as well um, or at least I was tagging the wrong film for a while um, but there's not so it, it's I think they're, they're, 
a bit too clever for their own good. It didn't really work for me. I didn't really feel tense and enthralled for the whole film, but a lot of people seem to have, if you've seen the reviews this week. Mm. It's bit, like, isn't his performance supposed to be like really he's, good? He's very good at he's it. He's fine right? in it, but it, he, he's let down by, I think, a pretty poor script. Right. And I don't think it's given too much away, Chris, to say that, that, that he's the only person on screen pretty much for the entire movie, but he gets a lot of phone calls, so there's a lot of voice acting going on. Right. And so a film like that is going gonna, is gonna to stand or fall on the quality of the acting of those voices. Mm. And I think, you know, the film has issues there. Right. Yeah, I didn't have as big a problem with them as you did, but... Mm. So it's, it sounds like it's split people quite a lot, then, yeah. this film. Um, and the other film this week... Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Which I haven't seen, I've just realised. <laughs> so I have. Wow. Um, and it's okay. Yes. So Andrew Garfield is, again, brilliant as uh, Peter Parker Spider-Man. Um, there's some good action in it. I didn't think Electro was a particularly good villain. Mm. Um, mm. I thought the makeup stroke CG looked a little bit rubbish. Same mm. with Green Goblin, actually. I didn't think he looked particularly good. But it, the biggest problem of all is that there's just way too much going on and mm. it doesn't give enough time to any of the characters to let them properly kind of develop and, right. and come out. And it's, it really is a movie that's setting up for all the other movies that are coming down the line. Yeah, that's pretty much what, a shame. That's what Creeper wrote in his review, isn't yeah. it? He said there's, there's just not enough space for anything to breathe. Everything's just yeah. kind of thrown, 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 yeah. thrown just to make sure everything is set up and put in place for the yeah. next movies. Yeah. yeah. But there's, a, there's a couple of really good moments in there. Like th there's this bit where he's kind of... Um, he disappears for a bit. It's not a particularly big spoiler. And uh, the, the city believes in Spider-Man and there's this little kid facing off against Rhino. You know, very sort of sweet moments. And it does the emotional bits really, really well, which mm. is kind of odd for a superhero <coughs> film because most of the time superhero films go clunky when it's that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I guess that's one of Mark Webb's strengths as a director, though, isn't it? Because yeah. he did Finding Neverland? No. Uh, he did not. He did f uh, Five Hundred Days of Summer. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, Ryan Neverland yeah. was the other guy yeah. who did. Always get those confused. Quantum of Solace. Mm. Oh. My mistake. Yeah. So if you're going to pick one film this week, definitely uh, Amazing Spider-Man. I think Locke is one for home entertainment. I watch think, watch yeah. it on the telly. It's it's not a terrible film. It's just not as good as I kind of wanted it to be. Yeah. And in terms of games, you've got to be Trials Fusion. Definitely get Trials Fusion. Yeah, definitely, and play it with all your friends. Absolutely, brilliant. All right, that's it. Thanks very much for joining us on this week's podcast. Get in touch with us. You know how: Twitter, Facebook, email, all those things. My thanks to you two for joining each other and me. Thanks. On this. Thanks for letting us join you, yeah, Stuart. Thanks, yeah. otherwise you'd have just been sat here on your own. <laughs> I do that when you two go anyway with the lights out and just oh, well. stare into the abyss. Good See stuff. you next week, everybody. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream.
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.